Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me add to Brock's welcome. It's great to have you in the room with us this morning. Special welcome to Yaram Lock Sport. Trust you're having a great morning together and the sun is shining like it is here in South, warming up. Happy New Year as well and Merry Christmas. If we didn't see you over the Christmas and New Year period, like Brock said, we've had a two weeks where we haven't got together and so it is good to be back in the room. It's good to be back together. Uh, and if you're new or it's your first time here with us this morning, uh, a special welcome. We're so glad you're with us this morning. My name is Brad. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, we, we, love, we love having you here. Um, and like Brock said, we'd love to get to know you if you want to use the Connect cards to let us know who you are, where you're coming from, um, and we can get in touch and, and stay in touch. Uh, we've got Connect groups and teams that you can get involved in, and they'll be all kicking on uh, in the next few weeks. So feel free to, to make use of them and, and get, to get involved uh, and get to know some, some new people. We are... Looking at the Gospel of John at the moment, and we have been for quite a while. And this morning we're going to we're going to we're going to look at a big chunk of it. I'm not going to read the whole text that we're going to look at because it will take half the time uh, of our preaching. And so I'm going to trust that if you want to go back and check what I'm talking about is sort of in the text uh, for you to do that. But we're going to be looking at John six. I'm going to be paraphrasing or preaching on this whole section from 22 to 71. I'm going to read a few of the verses, uh, but I'm not going to read all the verses. So that's your homework for next week, is to read John chapter 6 and, and check it out. But let me read from verses 22 to 34, and then we'll skip to verses 47 to 58. Still a, long, a lot, a lot of, of Bible, but uh, it's good. And kids, it's good to see you in the, in the room as well. Jesse, good to see you, mate. He's excited to be here. They're very quiet. They've got their activity sheets. They're doing well. All right. So verse 22 of John chapter 6, it says, The next day, the next day, in case you're new, in case you haven't heard of what is happening at the moment, John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He's just fed 5,000 uh, men, not including women and children, with uh, five loaves and two fish. And then after that miracle, he went... Uh, the disciples went on the boat in a storm. He walks out uh, on the lake and goes across to the other side. And so then it says the next day, uh, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea, so the crowd have just been had their feed, they've witnessed the miracle, they've had the fish and the loaves, they've had their fill, uh, and then they notice that, hmm, there's something going on here. So the next day, the crowd that stayed on the other side of the sea, where the miracle happened, saw that there had only been one boat, and they also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So they've put the two and two together. Somehow Jesus has made it across the other side without a boat. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, and after the Lord had given thanks, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. 
And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Come on, monkey. It's like the, they've just had a miracle and now they're saying, what are you going to do for us now? It's, there's a bit of um, a bit going on here. Anyway, I'll leave my commentary for later. Verse 31. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread and from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 47, let's skip a few. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is a big no-no in Jewish culture, like cannibalism. It's pretty much a no-no in any (laughs) culture. Our culture too. What's going on here? Verse 53, it it gets worse, okay? Jesus really presses this point. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you this morning for your word and we thank you that it is living, it's active, it's able to to change us, challenge us, transform us. And God, we pray that it would do that this morning. We pray as we begin this new year, 2024, that the word of God, Jesus, the word became flesh, would dwell in us, would fill us, would fuel us for life and for ministry, for service and for love and for all the plans you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, on Christmas Day, we had a big family lunch. Um, And if your family lunch or if you've ever had a big Christmas sort of get-together with a big lunch Um, was anything like ours, by the time dinner rolls around, you're thinking to yourself, do I need to eat again? Uh, We have spent the last four hours eating, um, and the table still looks like there's enough food. for, For some reason, we think that Christmas Day, people are more hungry than they were on any other day. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just our family. Um, but it's like, we've got to have the seafood. We've got to have this food. We've got to have that food. We've got to have all the different types of food. In case someone doesn't like this, then at least they can have, you know, 10 people's worth of lamb uh, to themselves or whatever it is. And so sometimes on Christmas Day, you think, well, maybe I don't need dinner. But then inevitably, by the time 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock rolls around, you're like, oh, I'm actually hungry again. It doesn't matter how much I ate like 10 hours ago, there's something about my stomach that still wants more. 
Uh, and no doubt, even if you don't eat that night, the next morning when you wake up, you're like, I'm hungry again. I don't know of a time of anyone who's eaten a meal big enough that they have gone the next day to week without eating again. I mean, it's the part of our body, it's the part of the way God created us, isn't it? That as we eat, in fact, the more we eat, the more hungry we get. If you eat big meals every time uh, and, you will, and you get bigger and bigger meals, the, your hunger levels will grow. You'll get more and more hungry as opposed to if you eat smaller and smaller amounts. Um, inevitably, you are hungry again, uh, no matter how much you eat. One meal won't suffice. You need another and another. And when we feed on anything other than Jesus, this whole passage is about this idea. When we feed on anything other than Jesus, we are going to be left hungry. We're going to be left wanting. And in fact, I say we're going to be left more hungry, more wanting. No matter what we fill the void of our life with, whatever we give purpose or meaning or satisfaction, whatever we draw uh, those things from in our life, the more we do that, the more hungry we get for those things. This story in this passage is like a mirror, if you like, of John chapter 4. Now, John chapter 4 is a story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You might remember this one. A Samaritan woman at the well. There's a, a woman at the well who's going out to the well every day to collect water from the well. And Jesus has a, a conversation with her and says, well, if you knew who I was, I would be able to give you living water and you'd never be thirsty again. And the woman, of course, says something just like these, these crowds. Well, what are you doing? Give me this water. I don't want to have to come here every day. And of course, Jesus is not talking about physical water, just like he's not talking about eating his physical flesh and blood. Thank goodness for that, um, that we don't, we're not doing that today. Um, but he's, he's saying figuratively, there's something else going on here. You don't have to keep going back to the things of your life that you're trying to get these things from that only I can fulfill. So this, uh, John chapter 6 so far, like I've said, we've, we've looked at the feeding of the 5,000 and this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 really sets the tone and the, the foundation for the rest of what Jesus is preaching about here. The conversation, this long conversation with the, the crowd that were a part of this um, miracle is really set on the foundation of the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish. A little boy brings this to Jesus or to the disciples and says, this is what we've got. For some reason, uh, I don't know if you've seen that Bluey episode where the dad takes the kids to the swimming pool and they're just like, come on, let's go. Uh, the men must have been in charge that day. And it's like 5,000 men. All right, families, let's go. Did anyone pack lunch? Tim did for himself. <laughs> Five loaves and two fish and no one else thought to brought anything else. Uh, and, but Jesus worked a miracle. Uh, and fed the, the multitudes with that. Uh, and this is a way of Jesus saying, I can provide. This is a provision uh, miracle. And then he makes his way over the lake by walking on water. So I want to look at this idea that um, Jesus talks about first earthly bread, then he talks about heavenly bread, and then he talks about himself being as bread, Jesus' bread, and then he takes it a step further Jesus as himself bread to eat. And then we're going to see that as really what he's talking about is Jesus as sacrifice. And so he's building on these ideas. So firstly, let's look at this idea that of the bread that doesn't last that Jesus talks about, this earthly bread, the fish and the loaves. A picture, 
if you like, of what we have compared to what Jesus can offer. This is the miracle. The boy brings fish and loaves, and Jesus says, what you have compared to what I can give you, this is like chalk and cheese. There is no comparison. When you go to things in your life, the bread that doesn't last, it's just inadequate. It won't feed you. It won't satisfy your hunger. It's, It's nothing compared to what I can give you. No matter um, what food you eat, um, literally there's nothing that will satisfy your hunger forever. You won't. Uh, Even with preservatives, nothing will last forever. Um, You need bread, you need food every day. It doesn't satisfy for long. You can eat the biggest meal, like we've said, of your life, but tomorrow you'll still be hungry, perhaps even more hungry. But figuratively, this is what Jesus is really talking about, that the things that you go to in life, like attaining knowledge maybe, or wealth, or success, or pleasure, or um, kids that might be winning games, or sports, or maybe that's me, I'm not sure, getting your lawns perfect. You know, there's different things that we try to draw from our existence that we try to put our meaning and satisfaction into, no matter how good it gets, no matter how successful you are, no matter how wealthy you are, it still won't fill the gap. It still won't fill the void. You'll still want more. None of these things really last. Earthly pleasures, they are good and there's, there's purpose in them, but they are fleeting. They don't last. They give life but they don't give eternal life. You notice Jesus keeps referring back to eternal life. There's some big themes that Jesus keeps coming back to. One of them is eternal life, one of them is bread, and one of them is this idea of belief, and we'll talk about those other two. But this idea of life that he talks about, our English language, again, uh, really doesn't do justice to what the Greek language does. And so there's three different words they, that we translate as, translate as life in the New Testament. Uh, the first one is sukkah, which is like this soul life, which is your, your, your emotions, your will, your psychological life, if you like. Your bios, which is where we get the word biology from, um, biological life, your existence, your physical life. And then there's the zoe life, which is the eternal life that Jesus is talking about here. And that's the quality of life, um, that you can have eternal life through Jesus and Nothing else will give you that Zoe life, that purpose-filled eternal life. And so Jesus is really talking not about, when he says eternal life, sometimes we just think living forever. That's not really what he's talking about. That's just a poor translation or a poor interpretation on our behalf. What he's really talking about is uh, a quality of life, a deep life, an abundant life, eternal life that Jesus talks about. And not quality in terms of material or health or wealth, not like this health and wealth gospel that add Jesus to your life and everything will be picture perfect and you'll have an Instagram-worthy life. No, but really it's about joy and contentment in life, an eternal life, a Zoe life. Um, I don't know if your kids have ever like put their feet up after having like a, some chocolates or some soft drink and they just say, this is living. Um, you know, or maybe you've said that, <laughs> this is living, like after eating a chocolate bar and having some, some um, lemonade or something. Uh, but and we might laugh at that idea, but that's really what, this is the picture. God laughs at what we say, this is living. Oh, I've got the house, or I've got the car, or I've got the job, or I've got the 
figure or I've got whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. This is living and God lasts. That's nothing. There is so much more joy. There's so much more contentment that you can get than the little things of this world that don't last. Quick note that it is important. This is not a passage about don't worry about earthly food. Don't worry about working your jobs. Don't worry about earning money. There's there is good verses and good passages about earning money and feeding people and um, earning, earning all those things. It's, it's not about that. It's just not about putting your purpose and meaning and satisfaction in those things. So the, G, the bread that Jesus is talking about is not um, bread to simply exist, not to survive, but eternal life, this heavenly bread. So then we talk about this bread that does last, this heavenly bread. And, and it keeps going back to this idea of manna. And this is not talking about table manners. It's not talking about, um, this is a weird word that we don't really use in English, manna, which is bread from heaven. And to understand this and to understand this interaction that Jesus is having with the Jewish people, there's two big ideas you have to understand. One is that this is happening in the middle of the Passover festival. And so the Jewish people are in the middle of this festival celebrating Passover. And the manna from heaven is a story which happens, and I'll tell you what the Passover is in a minute, because you might be thinking, you've lost me, Brad, already. And the manna from heaven is a thing that happens straight after the Passover event in Exodus. So travel back three and a half thousand years. There's a story of God's people held in captivity, and um, there's a Jewish... Um, I can't remember the name, I think it's called Seder, where they retell the Exodus story. And I think it takes three or four or five hours to retell. And I'm going to give you a minute version. Um, so it's probably not going to do it justice. But the, God's people are in captivity. They're, they're slaves in Egypt. And Moses has this experience at the burning bush. In, and this is where uh, God reveals himself to Moses and says, I am. And so we get this picture of when you understand this story of the Exodus and you read then John 6 and you hear Jesus say things like, I am the bread of life, uh, it gives it so much more colour, depth and vibrancy. Uh, and so I encourage you, if you don't know the Exodus story well, go back and read it. So Moses is sent by God to go to Egypt and go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, just because you've come here and told me to do that, No. And so then what does God do? He sends 10 plagues, 10 plagues to Egypt, which, I mean, you know, there's frogs and there's gnats and there's the river turning into blood and there's all these terrible things happening. But the 10th plague is the firstborn of every house is going to die. And the way that um, God says to his people, he says, if you will sacrifice and kill a lamb and get the blood of that lamb and paint it over the door frame of your house, when the angel of death comes around, he will pass over the house that has blood on, the, on the, the frame of the house, the door frame, and no one will be killed in that house. And then, of course, that tenth plague is the final straw, and Pharaoh says, get out, go, you're free. I don't want any more plagues. And that's when there's freedom from captivity. God's people are led by Moses into the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around, and they've got no food. But God provides manna from heaven, literal bread from heaven, but not enough for them to store up, but rather bread on a daily basis, that they come daily and there's manna, fresh manna from heaven. And so 
You can imagine when Jesus is talking about being the bread of life and the Jewish audience and the, they're in the middle of this festival and so they've got this in the forefront of their minds, this story. And it's deeply ingrained in their culture that this is um, it's, it's profound to them, it's overwhelming and it, it, it's hard for them to, to really embrace. But Jesus says, I am the bread. And, and, not, and so he begins by saying, I'm not like Moses. Moses didn't provide bread. Moses was just the one who received the bread from God. God provided that bread for him, so I'm not like Moses, because they wanted just to put him into a nice little neat package and say, well, you're like Moses. You're a miracle worker, and you can give us more bread. Whenever we're hungry, we'll go through the Jesus drive through and get our bread. Uh, and Jesus, no, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. And so he's firstly, he's... Um, dispelling their misunderstanding of who he is. That they were trying to fit him into a, this is the Jesus we want you to be. If you remember back in John chapter 6, after they, after they had their feed, it says something interesting, and I, don't write, I didn't write the verse down, but I think it's verse 15, where they, they say, we, Jesus withdrew. He went up the mountain. He withdrew after the miracle because he perceived they were going to take him and make him king by force. But they had in their minds, oh, this Jesus is going to fit our agenda. He's going to work perfectly to achieve what we want to achieve. And so we'll make him king. We'll make him our king and we'll make him by force. But Jesus was not interested in being that kind of king. He wasn't interested in being a king that ruled by force. He was, being, he was interested in being a king that would die, that would sacrifice himself, that would humble himself. And so Jesus doesn't allow for them to misinterpret or misappropriate who he is. In verse 26 and 27, which we read, it says, Truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. The point of the gospel is more... Than full stomachs. It's not less than, but it's more than full stomachs. It's more than the temporary promotion that you might get receive at work, or the temporary house you might live in, or the temporary holiday you might go on, or the temporary success you might experience. It's so much more than that. Jesus is not here for the food that perishes, but rather food that lasts, this heavenly food. Sometimes when we talk about heavenly food, and we talk about the idea of heaven, we have Another, another idea that heaven is just living forever. And again, heaven is so much more than that. It, it is living forever, but it's not just existing forever. It's living forever. It's full joy, contentment, peace. It's all these things that we all search for in our life. It's experiencing that in its fullness forever. Here. Anyway, maybe we should do a series on heaven in the future. Um, I love talking about heaven, but... Anyway, so Jesus is talking about his, he's providing this heavenly bread, this manna from heaven, so that the Jewish audience are sort of confused but understanding what he's talking about somewhat. But then he goes a step further and he says, I'm not just going to provide that bread, I am that bread. I am the bread. And they're like, whoa, that's a bit much, Jesus. That's a bit much you. It's one thing for you to be a prophet like Moses, but for you to say that you are the bread. And then he uses that statement, I am the bread. Uh, the first I am statement of John, and I think there's six or seven of them. He's alluding back to Moses where God revealed himself in Exodus 3, I am who I am. 
Um, and Jesus really begins challenging the people with this massive idea that I don't give the bread, but I am the bread. I am the bread. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread? As I was reading about this and reading some different commentaries, um, there was this idea that in the, in the Western world where our, our religions are very left-brained, you know, there's left brain and right brain. Left brain is um, like logical, um, mathematical, ordered, black and white, scientific, facts, and then right brain is, have I got this around the right way? Any psychologists in the room? Right brain is more um, intuitive, feelings, um, those sorts of things. And so Western religions are very uh, left brain, philo- philosophical, uh, scientific, facts. You know, we, you talk to people about uh, Christianity and they want to know, well, did it really happen? Is there any proof? That's not a very Eastern idea. Eastern religions are much more intuitive, uh, feelings-based, the mystical idea of experiencing the divine. And Christianity is neither of these two things. This is the beautiful thing, what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the bread. I'm not not a philosophy, and I'm not just a mystical experience, but I am a person. You notice in the scriptures, Jesus often talks to the children, and he says, come to me like children. A a child can't have a, a philosophy, a philosophical religion, or a mystical experience like that. They're too complex of an idea. But what can a child have? with a person, a relationship. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus being the very saying, I am what you need. Come to me as, as, a, as a child, as a, have a relationship. I am the bread. He uses children as an example how to come to him as a person, as a friend, as a king. This is Christianity. It's not just left or right brain, eastern or western, but it's a relationship. It's Jesus himself. Jesus moves from being manna, um, he doesn't provide the bread, but he is the bread. So don't look to Jesus as just an example or a philosophy or an experience, but rather look to Jesus as the person. He is life. And then he moves a step further and he starts talking about this idea, I am the bread you eat. My flesh, you eat my flesh and you drink my blood. Sounds like something out of a, a horror movie. But this food to eat, and it gives us a picture. Um, remember, all through John, we've been talking about this idea that the pictures or the analogies that are used here, um, God uses his creation, rather God creates, so that we might understand something of him. And so even the way we eat and digest food is a picture of what, when we think about that and what that does for us, this is the idea that God wants to reveal to us that like when you eat food and you digest food, it gives you fuel, it gives you energy. Um, Alana and I have watched this series on Netflix called Alone. I think I've mentioned this before, where basically people are thrown out into the wilderness, into the middle of literal Arctic winters, and told to survive as long as they can. The person who survives the longest wins. I mean, it's a crazy idea. But one of the things I've really understood or learnt from watching this is the important... I know food's important. I eat it every day. Um, But how important food is just for the ability to get up the next day and move and walk and go exploring or chop down a tree or whatever they're doing. Fuel, I mean, food is energy. 
Food is what gives you the ability to keep going. And this is um, what Jesus is saying. I'm food to eat. I'm food to consume. Uh, I'm food to, to live off. I am what gives you the energy to live. Without real food, your energy levels drop and your living becomes less. And for some of us, the things that we go to for living are actually depressants. Drink, alcohol, work, looks, money, comparison. They are really uh, actually depressants on our mind and they, uh, they, they cause us to escape reality rather than embrace reality. Whereas when we go to Jesus... He gives us truth, who we really are. And so it's not an escape from reality, but really it's an embrace of reality. It's not a depressant. It's an ability to see and know the truth. We are love, that we are children of God, that we are his creation, made in his image for a purpose. The things that we are tempted to go to, that promise that they will fill us and fuel us, are actually things that drain our life. And that's why we need more and more and more of them. We're left more hungry, more wanting. And Jesus says, don't go to those things. Come to me. Consume me. Fill me with your life. Make me the reason for living, the motive for living, and you'll discover real life. And not just um, real existence, but eternal life. It won't run out. Like the living water that the Samaritan woman uh, was told about, living water that doesn't run dry. And then he talks about this flesh and this blood. And some people would say, well, he's just talking about communion there, but this is, it's really before there's any idea of communion or Passover um, thing. He's pointing forward here to his death. He's pointing forward to, his, to his, his blood being poured out on the cross. And these words are confronting and confusing for the, for the hearers. But for us now in looking back and we see that Jesus took our place on the cross where we can see that Jesus is really talking about his, him as bread is really him on the cross pointing forward to a sacrifice like the Passover lamb once and for all. Ultimately what it means to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood is to understand that Jesus is not just a bread giver. He's not just a philosophy or a set of teachings but he is life and he is your life. He is in place of your life. The idea of bread comes up more than 20 times in this passage. But the other idea that comes up just as much and what I alluded to earlier on was this idea of belief. If you'll believe, if you'll simply believe. Jesus keeps repeating this idea. One of them is in verse 47 and 48 where it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. This life doesn't come through you being good enough or up to a standard, but by Jesus being good enough. This idea of consuming Jesus is not just about you trying hard to love Jesus, but by rather by you believing in him that he took your place on the cross. That's why Jesus repeats this idea of flesh later in John chapter 6, but he talks about it in a negative idea. He flips it back onto our flesh, and he says this. He says, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. But he's not talking about his flesh now. He's talking about our flesh. You can't offer anything to this. You don't have any, anything good to contribute to this. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and are life. Jesus comes to you as bread 
and for you as a sacrifice. He is the manna from heaven, your daily provision for energy and fuel. But at the same time, he is your Passover lamb. He is the one who was sacrificed so your blood, so his blood is painted over, over your life and so you are free from the consequences of your own life. This is the beautiful picture of what Jesus is painting here. I'm going to ask the team to come up and I'm going to give you three so what's. So what do we do with all this? Well, firstly, a really simple and practical thing for you to think about is that Jesus does do the miracle of filling people's stomachs. There is something here that we can't just gloss over and say, well, really, the important thing that people need to know about is Jesus, their saviour. Without people, people having food to eat in their bellies and shelter and their basic necessities of survival met, people can't think about anything, any higher virtue or any higher meaning for their life. Obvious needs need to be met. These things for survival. And once they are met, then the conversation about Jesus being the bread of their life can happen. And so if you're able and as God prompts you, help others, provide for others, use what you have to see other people's basic needs met and do this as priority. Do this through sponsoring children through compassion or helping out um, in different local organisations. The second thing is that Jesus is the ultimate goal. We can become like the crowds and people that Jesus was speaking to and desire our own agenda and have Jesus fit with this. What the people wanted was Jesus' king, their king, to rule by force, to take Rome. And they thought if they could manipulate Jesus into being who they wanted him to be, who they wanted them, him to be for them. They had their own agenda, their own desire. But Jesus himself is the ultimate goal not what you want, not your own agenda. And so Jesus is not here to fit your own um, political agenda or your own heart's desire. He's here to be the ultimate goal in and of himself. And then thirdly, to feed on Jesus. As we begin this new year, John 6, 57, just as the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Perhaps at the start of this new year, you've set a list of goals, priorities, desires. But none of these goals, whether they're fitness or health or wealth or balance, none of these are going to give you the deep satisfaction, joy and contentment that your life really is looking for. So this year, I want you to encourage you to make a person your goal, a relationship your goal. Jesus himself, to feed on him, feed on his words the Word of God, and feed on His presence. Make Him your goal for this year. Can we stand together and pray as we, as we worship one more time? Lord God, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that it's, it's life to us. And God, we pray that this year, 2024, that we might feed on You. We might consume You. We might have that deep relationship where we find joy and contentment and peace all the thing our heart desires. As we believe on you, as we look to you, as we relish in the, in the love that you've poured out on us, our Passover lamb, help us to believe you for this eternal life, to trust your spirit at work in our life, 
and help us to make you our goal and our priority this year. Both individually, for our families and for our church, God. We love you so much and we honor you. We choose to respond now and worship you and sing to you and enjoy your presence. In Jesus' name we pray.